by for Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors with your host, Drew Kirby. Hey, this is Luke Holmes. I am Morgan Wallen. I'm Riley Green. I'm Travis Denning. Hey, I'm Aaron Lewis. Hey, it's Luke Bryan. I'm Tim McGraw. What's up? This is Ian Munsick. Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. We have crossed into the seventh month of the year. That means that Janet and Brian, we are getting closer and closer to that 4th of July celebration. And a lot of folks going to hit the water. And then a couple of days after that, the drawing will happen for the uh, the second drawing of the big tags. And then a couple of weeks later, then it'll be over the counter. And it's a, just a busy time of year. I don't think it ever ends anymore, Drew. Um, and really, we have only had a handful of days that have been, you know, warm and boating weather. And uh, so we just want to remind folks that as the summer does start to warm up and we are getting out more and more fishing and just recreation boating, that there are a lot of things that we need to be thinking about safety wise and making sure our boats are up and running, ready to go. You know, last weekend I was at Glendo doing some fishing and at seven o'clock in the morning, it was fine. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of boat traffic, but by 830, it was like rush hour traffic with the number of boats, fishing and pleasure boats, as well as jet skis. And it just, it kind of gets a little sketchy and scary when you're out on a big water uh, body of water like It absolutely does, especially when you recognize that many of those boat owners or um, watercraft owners are new and maybe don't know some of the rules and regulations behind which side of the water they should be on or how they should be operating their craft. A lot of boaters were, you know, they're pulling skis and they're pulling tubes. And, well, that seems like that gets kind of uh, sketchy when you're on a big body of water and they're doing it right out in the middle Brian, what are some of the uh, the thought processes that people should go through when they're pulling somebody on on a boat like that with a ski? Well, I think, you know, safety equipment's number one. Um, you know, making sure that you have the right type of life jacket if you're on a water ski or a jet ski or in a boat, but also having a, a somebody in the boat that will actually be able to be one of your spotters, guy with the, if the person goes down on the skier, they can hold up their orange flag to make sure other boats are aware that you have somebody that you're pulling. And also having that rear view mirror, if you're alone in the boat with somebody you're skiing with and, and being able to watch that person back there at all times and having that orange flag to, to throw up in there if you actually have that person uh, fall off their, their uh, water skis. And you mentioned the life jackets, which it's so important that, and it's a, a rule, you have to have a life jacket for every person in the boat and then you have to have the square flotation device. What about somebody that's on a, a jet ski and they're pulling somebody on a tube? What is the, the life jacket regulation on something like that? And having somebody in a, on a jet ski, they have to have a specific life jacket for a jet ski. So you can imagine falling off a jet ski going, you know, 40, 50 mile an hour, your jet ski, your life jacket has to be able to, you know, withstand that falling off at that speed and not falling off of you to keep you up, you know, when you, you finally come to rest type of thing. So that's very important. Looking on the the inside of your jets, of your PFD, to make sure that that is the required um, life vest for that. So, and if you are pulling somebody with your jet ski, you have to have another person on that on board with you. So it's got to be a two person. So you have to be able to identify when that person goes down on the skis or on the tube um, so you can hold up the orange flag. So we still know that that's, that's pretty important. 
you know, we were out just this past weekend and with the colder weather so far this summer, the water is still very chilly. And so while people might think that they're fantastic swimmers and maybe they just have their life jackets on the boat with them and maybe they don't have them on. It's just a reminder that if the wind comes up and something happens and they fall in the water, that water is so incredibly cold that, um, you know, it takes your breath away. Maybe you start gasping. Those sorts of things um, kind of happen this time of year still. So it's always great just to have those life jackets on. You know, don't forget kids 12 years of age and under are required to wear a life jacket while the watercraft is underway. But even be thinking as an adult, you know, if you're responsible for other people on the watercraft, life jackets are not a bad way to go. Game and Fish will randomly do, you know, tests and, and checks to make sure that people have everything that, that you need on the boat. You know, a lot of times you'll show the life jackets and then you'll put it in a, a compartment, you know, just to say that you have it. But really, you know, you should have it within reach if you're not going to have it on the whole time. I totally agree, Drew. I mean, the water temperature is a big thing and just, you know, what uh, you, you hit a wave, you know, somebody goes by really fast and rocks your boat really good and somebody falls out and you're going down the water. It's you got to turn around and come back. You know, that person is in the water by themselves with a life jacket. It gets pretty scary when the water's that cold, but just for somebody that you just don't know what their swimming ability are is, you know, at that time, if you're not used to being on a boat, maybe it's a good idea to ask people if they're new to your boat, if they would rather wear a life jacket, if, if something would happen. I think it's a really good thing, especially if it's your boat and you're responsible for those people. And just as a reminder, we all think back to those horrible orange around the neck, uncomfortable life jackets that we maybe used to have when we were kids. But there are so many fantastic um, flotation devices out there now that, um, you know, you don't even know that you're wearing one. Uh, and also other safety equipment that needs to be on the boat at all times. I mean, obviously the life jackets but then there's really a, a pretty good list of things that legally you have to have on the boat. Yeah, I think, you know, like fire extinguishers and making sure that that fire extinguisher is actually active. You know, it's in the green that the dial shows it's in the green. And like, say, if it's really old, it might be a good idea to get a new one. They're not that expensive. They're easy to find at a lot of the stores at your, you know, especially in Casper. And then also making sure that your lights work. What happens if you end up after suns uh, sunset and you're out and you got to have your lights on? Make sure that they work before you go out on the water. That's a really good thing. Having a, a you know a horn or something like that is actually really important. I like to warn other boats from you know getting too close or you know emergency situations. That's really important. So I think those some of those things besides having your boat registered. You know, some of those things that we come across that that will pull you over for if you don't have the registration on your boat. It's like we got to find out, you know, if, what's going on with your boat and stuff. So make sure you have the safety equipment. And you talked about that throwable device that you have to have uh, the square cushion with the with the straps on it or one of those ring buoys. Um, those are perfect for if somebody falls in the water. Um, you can throw that out to them and having a, a throw rope um that that comes in a bag that you can throw it is is great to have too it's just one of those things where it's not just you that's in the boat it's all those other folks but it's also all those other people on the body of water that um you assume 
know what they're doing on the body of water, but you'd be surprised how many are new boat owners and really aren't aware of what, what, how dangerous it can be and what's going on with the water at all times. Wyoming Game and Fish, uh, go to their website, wgfd.wild.gov. If you are a new boater, there are boater classes that you can take, and most of them are specifically just online, I think, aren't they? Yeah, they are online now, and it, it really is It's one of those things where if you aren't a boat operator or you're just not doing it very often it's it's something that give you a break on your insurance but also it actually actually helps you be more aware of your surroundings when you're boating and uh, drew you would be surprised how many new boats um, people buy in casper just yesterday we uh, registered 18 new boats just in one day so it's one of those things where there is a lot of new boat owners out there so being aware of what's going on um, outside of where you're on your boat is very important. Always assume that the person that's in a boat next to you has no clue what the rules are. So just watch out for other people um, when you're on the body of water just for your own safety. And then obviously one of the things we've talked about a lot here, if you're a new boat owner, you have to get the AIS. If you haven't uh, taken your boat out for a year, you have to get that inspection and uh, every time you hit the water if uh, you take the boat home every time if it's open you got to go yeah i think um ais stuff is kind of important people get confused if if you are if that boat was in in another state or outside the state of wyoming in the last year they have to be you know inspected again before they go on the water in wyoming now if you're alcova bound every weekend um you still have to stop at an ais check station if you drive by it but you don't have to get it inspected, you know, before you go out on the water. If it stays in Wyoming, um, please stop at one of those check stations to, uh, to make sure they know that your boat has stayed in the state for the past year and they'll let you go. Certainly not only boats, but your kayaks and your canoes. Every year you have to have an AIS sticker for that. Make sure your registration for your boats are up to date. And if you don't know what it is, go look at your sticker on your boat. If it says 23 or later, you're good to go. Um, but if it has an earlier sticker on it, like 22 or 21, it's time to get it re-registered. And it's a pretty simple process. You can do it online or you can just come to the Game and Fish office and we'd be glad to help you out. It takes just a couple minutes and you're out the door. WGFD.wild.gov, a great resource for uh, boating information, boat, boater safety information, and get over and check that all out there. When we come back, we're going to talk about the next round of draws for big game hunting here in Wyoming. It's Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. And we are back. Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. Remember, you can go to wgfd.wyo.gov. Fishing and boating is the section there. And uh, one quick factor we wanted to bring up is it's 4th of July weekend, 4th of July week, so uh, easy on the booze. Uh, you can still get a ticket for boating under the influence, and you could cause some major issues. If you remember last year, there were some newsworthy uh, accidents, incidents that happened that uh, we want to avoid this year. So uh, make sure you go and, and know what you're allowed to do. All right, so we're past the 4th of July weekend now, and it's time for the secondary draw results, Brian, and I know uh, we were kind of a couple of weeks ago, people were just getting to the application process and that has passed and now it's time for the drawing, which will be at the end of the week. Yeah. So July 6th, uh, the uh, results of that leftover drawing 
um, will be out. And uh, like say after the leftover drawing, everybody finds out, you know, if they drew or not. And uh, then after that, come July 12th is when everything is that is left over from both drawings is available first come first serve. And what that means is that you can purchase those licenses that are still available online, or you can come to your license selling agent um, or your game and fish office and purchase those first come first serve. So if there's a cow license that um, is still available, like, like, you know, in area 48, we talked about drew, um, you can pick those up first come first serve. And like I say, they're open for everybody, residents and non-residents. And don't forget about, um, that's when you can start buying your general deer and your general elk licenses too. Um, and like I say, you can buy any of those licenses um, from the 12th of July all the way until the end of the hunting seasons in those hunt areas. So when you talk about the the uh, the general licenses, uh, are those different than the over-the-counter licenses? I know that, that there's maybe a little confusion on, well, if I just go over-the-counter, then I'll get the deer or elk tag that I want, but it is separate. Yeah, it is. So um, the first come, first serve is your limited quoted licenses. So those li- licenses that are limited in number, all of Antelope are limited quoted licenses. There's certainly some some deer areas in the state that are limited quota, limited numbers, and there's certainly a lot of elk licenses uh, that are limited quota, but also like you say in your general, so a resident um, hunter, a resident of Wyoming can buy a general elk or deer license and hunt in any general license area in the state. Now a non-resident, they can't do that, but a, a resident can, a, a non-resident actually has to draw a uh, general elk license. And uh, they don't have general deer licenses, they have region licenses, which uh, restricts them to a certain region. So uh, it's it's confusing is all I can say for a lot of new people. But like say, if you have questions about what these all mean, I mean, call your local game warden, your local um, biologist or your game and fish office. And we'd be glad to help you out, get things straightened out. And actually, if you don't know where to go hunting and things like that, that's what we're here for. We're here to help you out and get you set up so you can actually have a successful hunt this fall. And I, I've talked to a couple of people that are like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't get a draw and you know, in the first round and I didn't even put in on the leftover, but this is where they can still hunt. They're not shut out for the year if they go and they can get in on these licenses. So that's not the case at all. And and it's very, you know, worth your time to at least go to wgfd.wild.gov on the hunting section and, and figure that out. Yeah. I think um, on July 6th, you know, after the drawings over that list will be out of what licenses are going to be first come first serve come July 12th. So make sure you get on a look at that. If you, you can't find it, just call us. You can stop by the office. We'll have them printed out. You can look at them. And uh, we're here to help you out. And yeah, you can you can still hunt this fall if you didn't get into the drawings. You can buy a general deer, general elk. You can go down to the the snowies, you know, to hunt elk, you know, or the bighorns to hunt elk on a general elk. Or there's a lot of general elk licenses areas out in the western part of the state. And there's also general deer licenses available too. So, like I say, we're here to help you out. If you don't have a place to go, we'd be glad to uh, help and steer you in the right direction. And we talked last week that um, some folks are forgetting about their preference points, which you have to buy that separately now. That doesn't come with your, your license. That's right. So preference points, um, you can start buying them in July. Um, and remember, they do not automatically get 
onto your preference points. You don't get them automatically like you had in the past. It's been quite a few years now where you actually had to buy them separately. They're just totally separate from the license process now. So starting in July through October, you purchase your preference points. And preference points for residents, that is for moose and sheep. And that's it. Um, and the rest of those are your non-resident friends and relatives. Um, that's for all the critters like elk, deer, and antelope and moose and sheep. So for non-residents, a little bit more important because elk, deer, and antelope um, preference points are really important for the opportunities to draw in more areas in the state. So those are the two separate ones that you have to buy your preference points for our residents and non-residents for those critters. And the super tag is still up uh, up there as well. So, you know, get over and check it out. If you haven't gone to your portal yet, it, it well, you have missed the draw, the first one anyway, if you haven't gone there yet. Yeah, that's a tough one. <laughs> but it can be challenging. And so if you are not familiar with the portal yet and you just need to get signed up, um, don't hesitate to holler. Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. Welcome to July, Brian. We are uh, looking at that tornado month behind us. Let's hope. <laughs> Every year, uh, we average 12 tornadic storms. This year and June alone, 27. Sounds about right. How crazy <laughs> has it been? The uh, weather the entire year has really been odd because we started out with snow right. and we had blizzards and we have three feet of snow. And uh, I assume that the wildlife and the fish and everything are confused as heck about what's happening right now. I know a lot of us are. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah. all this rain and I mean, the late the late, uh, you know, winter that we kind of had and uh, it's 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 definitely putting uh making us do some things that we didn't normally do this time of year. But one thing that is happening right now, that uh, the fish bite for walleye is really hot right now, especially at Glendo. Yeah, it's been it's been great at Glendo for the last couple months and uh, you know, hearing some pretty good stories about uh, some some good fish coming out of Alcova and Pathfinder both. Yeah, and it's good to see that I mean, these waters have they've been low the last couple of years and now you know, almost a normal. I think it's almost a hundred percent at Glendo. Yeah, it's uh, ninety six and holding. So yeah, they're uh, they're managing the water. From what I can say, is uh, pretty darn good, especially with the challenges they've had with the amount of rain and and uh, and fortunately, I think you know we've had some cooler nights, so that's kind of slowed some of the the runoff and the, oh, yeah. the snow meltdown. So if we didn't have that coupled with all the the rain that we've had. It, we we could have been ugly. Yeah, uh, it, it really could have. But like we did mention the the um, like we did mention though the the fishing is really hot right now and and uh, live bait. You know those night crawlers, those you know leeches have been just crazy hot. It's the year of the worm. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> you know we were at Glendo a couple of weeks ago and. Uh, we were sitting with a worm on a jig, and then we would do a slip bobber with a leech, and they would both hit. Right. But if you used a leech on the jig, it wouldn't hit as much as it would on the slip bobber. It's, it's kind of a weird thing. Yeah. Um, to me, like that, a slip bobber and a leech is about the most natural presentation you can get, you know. And so if you just take a leech and throw it over overboard and just watch it swim away, it's very natural, just kind of like a snake in the water kind of deal. And when you put them on a on a just a bare hook under a bobber, 
I mean, they do the same thing. They're just kind of down there swimming around and, man, pretty enticing for a big old walleye. I assume that's right. And, you know, I think I've even heard that we went through a slow period with the river and trout fishing, but the last couple of days I've heard some good stories about some fish. Yeah, you know, I think once, you know, it just has to settle down. Like, we have to have stop having so much rain in the afternoon that's muddying up that river. Um, and once once all that kind of just settles down and, and, and water clears up again, the fishing is going to be, fina- you know, fantastic. We're, what, just uh, two weeks? Not even two weeks, a little under two weeks away from your next round of the uh, Wyoming Walleye Stampede. Yep. And it's at Seminole, and things, uh, well, hopefully the weather kind of, holds off a little bit you know (laughs) that's you know that's that's always a factor when we're fishing especially these lakes that are a little higher elevation and you know big bodies of water when that wind comes up we tend to get some uh potential for some big waves and and uh you know we just guys have to be cautious and you know know the limitations of their own boats so we've been talking a lot about you know you have this coming week or i guess the this coming round and then you'll be over at Boyson. Have you heard much uh, about how the fishing's going over there? Yeah, Boyson's fishing pretty good right now. Um, it, it it too has had a lot of water coming through there. I mean, I think up to you know twelve, thirteen thousand cubic feet going in there, and then uh, and then they're pulling it out. So this last week it was up in the floodplains, like two twenty percent, ten percent, something like that. So the water's getting into campgrounds up on Tough Creek. Um, and uh, the, the fishing, are, again, the fish kind of do some different things. Uh, guys are finding fish suspended, which, you know, is not really that common for walleyes in, in our area. Most guys like fishing shorelines and, and that shallower stuff. But um, I know guys that have been out there uh, hunting for uh, trout and pulling some, some walleyes in with those trout. So it really is just uh, uh, shooting fish in a barrel at this point. Well, it's not it's not always that easy, but you know the you kind of you have to be you have to be versatile. You know, I think uh, if you just really just love jig fishing all the time, you know, you might have to switch over to jigging a worm, or maybe it's going to be a a crankbait bite, or maybe you have to put on a, a bottom bouncer and a worm harness. So be versatile. Don't be so stuck in your ways. If you if you want to put fish in the frying pan then you know you're gonna have to change it up sometimes you know i've been doing this uh, clean eating thing and that's that's one of the hardest thing when you're having fish because the best is deep fry <laughs> that sucker right but uh you know with walleye though you can you can eat it and not even really have to put too much batter and anything on that it right it is such a good eating fish yeah you know we've even been doing some uh, recipes on the traeger you know just a just a little bit of butter or in your case maybe some, some spray ham yeah. uh, and uh, some lemon and maybe an onion on top and just uh, throw it in the traeger and it doesn't take very long that that, that white meat is uh, nice and uh, light so you know a few 15 minutes 10 15 minutes in a traeger um, you know, it usually comes out pretty good. Which right now you guys have a whole line of Traegers. You brought in the Pit Boss, and you've even got the the smaller kind of tailgate uh, mm-hmm. smokers. Yeah, we've got a lot of options right now, especially for a guy who just wants to go away for a weekend, or if it's a guy out on a rig and uh, they're they're out of town and living out of hotels. I mean, those little uh, those Traeger Rangers and some of these little Pit Boss, they've got some portable smokers that yeah, great for a couple steaks. And we, you know, we uh, we're into the grilling month. It's mm-hmm. actual grilling month. And if you're uh, throwing those walleye on the Traeger, do you have a preference when it comes to the smoke? Do you, the flavor of smoke or? 
You know, a lot of guys will run more of like a mesquite um, type of, uh, of a pellet, but um, for the most part, you know, you're not cooking them for a real long, right. lengthy time. So, you know, it's not really getting into the meat that that much. Um, but there are a couple seasonings that I like. There's a, there's one called a fin and feather, and uh, that one's actually, you know, real tasty on those fish. Well, it's in the name, so it's, they, the it's name. probably <laughs> uh, made just for, you know, that. Right. It probably does it right on. Now, camping, obviously, we're into summertime now, and, and camping options here at Rocky Mountain Discount Sports, you guys have it all. Yeah, we're still uh, hot and heavy into, you know, the, the green gas, the little propane, the, the little little two-burner stoves, you know, to make your coffee and eggs in the morning, and uh, then, of course, all the, the cots and, you know, pads and tents and sleeping bags and everything that you would need to just put a full trip together so come on by and check them out here at rocky mountain discount sports and a little earlier in the show we talked to game and fish about how the the leftover drawing is coming up and then after that it's all over the counter right. and rocky mountain discount sports is one of the outlets that people can come in and, and get their license yeah so once once this uh, secondary draw goes um if there is leftover tags you know you'll be able to get on the game and fish website and see how many tags are available uh so come in and know what you're looking for i mean that's the biggest thing is guy just says you know i want to I want whatever's left over for a cow-calf tag. Um, you know, we can't really help you with identifying areas for you. But if there's a couple hundred tags left over in Area 7 and it's a 7-6 tag, um, you know, we can look that up pretty easily and allocate that tag to you. Um, just uh, have a plan when you come in and, um, you know, go from there. Well, this week is a good week to maybe come in and, and uh, start checking it out because this will be rolling and we'll be into hunting season before you know it, Brian. It's going quick, so it'll be here before long. It's Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. We're back here at Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. Hey there, it's Drew. And on the line, Sean Blazak with the Mule Deer Foundation and Sean, you guys have uh, had quite the year. It's been really busy. You've been doing a lot of things on the ground so far this summer, but uh, things are looking a little different with some of the mule herd, uh, mule deer herds around the state. Yeah, some of the mule deer herds, as everyone knows, took quite a beating over this winter. We had a lot of heavy snows in their winter ranges, and we lost quite a few mule deer. And that's one of those things that unfortunately happens from time to time, um, but Mule Deer Foundation, our big goal is to make sure the habitat and where mule deer are moving and everything else for mule deer is as best possible so they can rebound quickly. Um, at this point, that's our best bet is to make sure they can rebound as best as poss- best possible. Now, the whole state didn't take a beating, but especially that sort of L around the outside edge of the state on the west edge and the southern edge um, took a pretty bad beating this year. So, we're looking forward to those deer doing well in the future. And this really wet spring will help deer because it's obviously putting more vegetation on the ground. So that's a good thing, even though it, you know, ruins some people's summer plan. It's always good for wildlife to get more grass and stuff on the ground. So we'll see how this next winter goes. Hopefully it's a much lighter winter and, you know, mule deer will have good numbers of fawns and we can start rebuilding those herds a little bit. When you guys are doing, you know, hands-on things this summer, I mean, obviously the weather's probably played havoc on on your plans for doing any projects, but I'm sure you're able to get some stuff in. And, 
And if you drive around the state at all, you see a lot of the fencing projects and and uh, projects on habitat that you guys have really been working on. Have there been any big ones this year that you guys are really focused on right now? Uh, there's not a bunch that we're specifically focused on. We sort of have it spread out between fencing and habitat projects. Over the last two years, we've spent over $250,000 straight MDF money on the ground in the state. And, you know, matching that, it's a much, much higher number because most of our projects have pretty good match rates. So we're working on that stuff. We do have two wire winders now in the state that are available to all our partners, including Game and Fish, other nonprofits, Forest Service, BLM, anyone who's doing stuff to convert unwildlife-friendly fences to wildlife-friendly fences or remove fences. So those are two big assets for us that we get to loan out to people to and, you know, help out. And then, you know, getting volunteers on the ground, fence removal and fence modification is one of those things that's easy for volunteers to do. So we've got a lot of those days coming up this summer. We'll also be doing some different plantings and stuff coming up soon that we'll have volunteers for as well. And then, of course, we have different fundraising events going, too, just so we can get more funds on the ground and, you know, work in an even greater amount with our partners, such as Game and Fish. Yeah, which is a great point because, you know, you guys do fundraising all year long. You have your banquets through banquet season and, and all kinds of little get-togethers that go to raise money. And just what you said, you know, I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars have been spent over, you know, years of making the habitat even better. And when you guys are doing these fencing projects, what seems to be the best method that you guys are taking on? And when you're replacing fence, are you making them any different than the fences that were there previously? Yeah. So knowing that fences are required for a lot of livestock operations, um, we just try to make most of them as good as we can. Obviously, removing fences is good, but Having fences also can be good because you get proper livestock rotation, which actually helps the habitat for mule deer. But that being said, we want those fences to be as wildlife-friendly as possible, a.k.a. easier to go across. So what we typically do is we'll take a fence that's no longer containing sheep and now is to cattle or something, and we'll take out that woven wire at the bottom and replace it with like a three-strand fence with a lower top wire and then a smooth wire on the bottom that's a little bit higher than normal so fawns and stuff can get through. So that's one of the big modifications. And, you know, and even if it didn't have woven wire at the bottom, a lot of older fences are four, five-strand fences, or even if they're three strands of wire spacing, it's just wrong for um, letting wildlife through easy. So we'll just replace some strands and move some strands. So a lot of these fence projects, you know, we're just moving that top strand, maybe not even replacing it, replacing the bottom strand with a smooth wire. And then that makes that fence very easy for wildlife to get through, but it still provides a, you know, a good fence for cattle so they can keep their cattle in the appropriate fields. And, you know, ranching is a good thing. It keeps open spaces in Wyoming. And if they manage their grazing right, it actually can help the habitat. So, you know, we work with cattle ranchers and with you know, the state, um, Game and Fish, BLM, Forest Service. We've actually got two, you know, coalitions up in northern Wyoming that specifically focus on fencing, and that's the Absaroka Fence Initiative and the Bighorn Fence Initiative. And we're, you know, active in both of those, and we appreciate all the great work they do, and we're trying to get more and more of that going in the state. And we're actually going to get a bunch more going in the Northeast because we have a biologist up there that works with private landowners and the public land 
and a lot of that will be fence work. Um, we did get just over $65 million from the Forest Service and the BLM throughout the West to do different habitat and fence projects. So, And that's in the next five years. So that'll also help a ton, too. So we're still moving onward and upward and getting more and more stuff done. Well, it sounds like things are, are looking promising, you know, for the next few years of uh, helping the habitat here in Wyoming. And and that's that's a great thing, you know, and hopefully we'll have a resurgence over the next couple of years as well with the uh, deer population and uh, and making things smoother. So you guys at the uh, Mule Deer Foundation, like I said a little bit earlier, are always busy. And one thing that you have done the last few years is You've teamed up with Wyoming Whiskey to have those special bottles of Mule Deer Foundation whiskey that you guys will take around the entire state, and you just picked the new one. Yeah, we've been doing those for the last, this will be our third year, and so we're doing the Living Legend series, which is based off a painting that Eastman's had done, and it's got Popeye, Morty, and Goliath. There are three famous mule deer from some winter ranges in Wyoming. And the first year we did Popeye, last year we did Morty, and this year we're on Goliath. So we're on our third year. Next year will be our last year, and we're going to do all three on a bottle next year. But those will be available at different events around the state, and, and we really appreciate all the money those have raised. Last year it raised almost $25,000. This year should be about the same, and that all goes on the ground right here in Wyoming. And we're hoping to make even more in the future we appreciate all, you know, the hardworking members and people who show up to our event and spend their hard-earned money to help support mule deer. I mean, that is so greatly needed, and every dollar we get, we can leverage for more and get more done on the ground. So, you know, we are making money for good reasons, and we're trying to put as much on the ground as we possibly can. And it's it's cool that, you know, the folks at Wyoming Whiskey, you guys go in and you do a tasting and it's really a, a cool thing that you guys are as uh, involved in the process as possible. Yeah, it's awesome. We went and I think there was six or seven barrels of whiskey this year we chose from and we picked the one we thought was the best and the most appropriate for Goliath. And, you know, big thanks to Eastman's too, because I mean, they're they basically purchased the whiskey from Wyoming Whiskey and donated in full to Mule Deer Foundation. So between Wyoming Whiskey and Eastman's, Mule Deer Foundation does not pay a penny for the whiskey. That way, all those proceeds go directly to the ground. So when people buy those bottles, there's not anything coming off the top. It just goes to the ground. So it's a really cool partnership between the three of us, and we appreciate both Eastman's and Wyoming Whiskey tremendously for doing that. And you know, they're doing it out of the goodness of their hearts. It's not doing them any on their end. It's just to help mule deer. And, you know, I, I love it because if you're in Wyoming and you have any interest in the outdoors, you can help however you can. And with Eastman's and uh, Wyoming Whiskey both being Wyoming or organizations, you know, it's it's cool to, to see a state that really supports the uh, efforts of uh, the wildlife conservation uh, groups and organizations. So now with that being said, you guys are also doing uh, an, an event here in the Casper area at the end of July. Yeah. On July 29th, Mule Deer Foundation is celebrating its 35th year of existence. We've been around for 
35 years since 1988 on July 29th. So we'll be premiering a film at Frontier Brewing in Casper, and we're also going to have a large gun raffle with it. So there'll be at least seven guns in, you know, under three hours. So it'll be a fun event. It's from 6.30 to 9 p.m. at Frontier Brewing in Casper. It'll be a good time, you know, lots of good drinks, lots of firearms, and a cool 15-minute film to check out from Mule Deer Foundation and just help us, you know, celebrate 35 years and look forward to the next 35 years so we can keep doing good work for Mule Deer, you know, throughout Wyoming and around the West. That's awesome, man. It sounds like you guys have some busy times ahead, and if uh, someone wants to get involved, if maybe you uh, have always wanted to be a member of Mule Deer Foundation, you can go over and check them out at muledeer.org. And then specifically, you can go follow uh, the Mule Deer Foundation of Wyoming on Facebook. That way you can uh, keep up to date with all the information. And, and all of these events that we talk about here, you guys always keep information on the Facebook page just to make sure everybody's alert. Yeah, and we're always looking for volunteers. So when you go to muledeer.org slash Wyoming, feel free to email me or call me or send us any type of message you want and we will get with you because you know we know some people don't have the funds to put a bunch on the ground but they may have some time they can donate which can turn into funds for the ground or just on the ground work so we're always looking for people to help out that's awesome well sean i appreciate it and uh let's chat in uh, in a few weeks and see how things are going yeah, thank you so very much for having us on, and we always appreciate hooking and hunting outdoors, having us come on periodically so we can let you guys know what we're doing in the state. Awesome. Again, go follow them on Facebook, Mule Deer Foundation of Wyoming. Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors with Drew Kirby. If you have a question, want to make a comment, or have an idea for a show topic, message us on the My Country mobile app. Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors.